Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for a great time of worship, Lord, a time we can sing praises to your name. We're thankful for your love and mercy in our lives, for all you've done and for all you've given. Lord, be with us now as we open the truth of your word. Help us to just understand the significance of what we're doing. The importance of what we do, Lord, impress upon our hearts the need of obedience to you, service to you, Father. And I pray you do great work. Father, through the power of the Spirit, may we be transformed, Lord, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles now and open to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. It is good to be back. I had a fantastic trip to South Asia, but I miss being here. I have to be honest. I miss standing here and doing this. I miss seeing you guys. And I just want to thank you for your prayers and for all the kind words and the letters and all the encouragement and all the questions. We had a fantastic trip. I say this every time I go, but God is doing great work all over the world. Period. All over the world. He's working through our partners there in South Asia. He's working through those local believers. And I come back always amazed at... His power and his mercy in the, in the lives of those people. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're thinking about mission work or maybe you've already signed up for spring break or <clears throat> you're considering summer, just allow the, the Lord to use you. Go and just experience his, his power all over the world. But again, thank you for your prayers. Uh, thanks to Randy for preaching. Uh, I joked with him. He preached two weeks in a row and now he's taking a vacation day. Bless his heart. <laughs> Maybe he'll hear this on podcast. I sure hope he does. No, he did a great job. It's good to be able to leave and and leave it in good hands. So thank you to Randy. I want to review for just a few minutes where we've been before we jump into some new stuff this morning. Because we've been focusing for the last several weeks on Jacob. And we started with his birth in Genesis chapter 25, Jacob and Esau. And really, even while he was in the womb, there were problems We've seen a man that's kind of fought with his brother. He's kind of fought with his family really from the beginning. And so we kind of followed his life with his struggle through his, with his brother and his birthright and eventually how he lied to his father and he tricked his father and he tricked his brother and he stole his brother's birthright. And the last we heard of him when he was with his father, he had fled to the house of Laban. Now in our study, the last few chapters, and in his life for the last 20 years, he's lived with Laban. He's had a very difficult time with Laban. He's married and he has many children, but these 20 years have been very difficult for him. Now I want to take a step back as we always do and just be reminded of what we're talking about here. Here, Here's the big picture, remember? The promise given to Abraham of the promised land, right? When we get into... Uh, the end of Genesis, and if you were to continue to read Exodus, the children of Israel are going to eventually go into the promised land. This was originally promised to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. That blessing was passed to Isaac, his son. That has now been passed to Jacob, and Jacob literally will father the 12 tribes of Israel. Through his son Judah, Messiah, the promised one, will eventually come. So this is a big deal This is a man that's very important. This is a man, and this is important, that the hand of the Lord is rested upon. God has said over and over, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you. And so even after 20 years of kind of difficulty, it's time for Jacob to leave. And so I want to do this this morning. I want to summarize very quickly kind of the end of chapter 31 
And then I want to spend most of my time this morning in chapter 32, but I want to catch you up kind of where we're going in chapter 31. So it's time for Jacob to leave. If you were flipping already to Genesis chapter 32, you can go back to 31 verse 24 very quickly. And I want to read a passage for you because what's happened is God has come to Jacob in a dream and he basically says, listen, Jacob, after 20 years, it's time for you to go. Time to go home. Leave the house of Laban. Take your wives. Take your children. Take your possessions. Journey back to the land. I've promised you and I'm going to be with you. Now, when Jacob leaves, you can imagine Laban's not going to like that. In fact, Laban is going to kind of store up this bitterness and this anger in his heart. He's eventually going to go after Jacob. But Genesis 31, 24 is important because here's what the Lord says. The Lord came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream at night, and he said, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So he warns him, listen, you can catch up with Jacob, you can see Jacob, but be careful the way you respond to him because, again, I've got my hand on this man. I've blessed this man. I'm going to give this man the promised land. So Jacob catches up with Laban. Excuse me, Laban catches up with Jacob. Even though he's angry, they arrive at kind of a peace treaty They sign a covenant together. And look at verse 55 of Genesis 31, the last verse. Early in the morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and he blessed them, and he left and returned home, right? So so the time that Jacob has spent with Laban, 20 years, and all the things that have gone into that, all the difficulties, all the problems, all the blessings of the Lord, all the things that have taken place over 20 years is over, okay? So if we're thinking through big picture and we're kind of thinking through our storyline here, Jacob now is leaving Laban. They're leaving on good terms because the Lord has intervened. That's where we are and pick up Genesis chapter 32 beginning verse 1. Okay, so Laban is left. Now verse 1 of Genesis 32. Jacob also went on his way. Now if you're taking notes, these first two verses are really important. They should, and I use the word should, they should form a foundation for the verses They should form an understanding in Jacob's mind about what's going to happen, but they don't. Jacob also went in his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now Esau is a blast from the past, right? We hadn't heard his name in a while. He instructed them, Jacob's going to instruct these people he sends ahead, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might, that I might, found favor, that I might find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau Now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him, right? Dum, dum, dum. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well, and he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Now I want to think through these verses, but before I do, I want to kind of give you a truth that applies not only to Jacob and to Esau, frankly, but to us in our world today. Here's truth number one. Jacob's failure to trust the Lord resulted in fear. 
Now process that in your own hearts just for a minute. Jacob's failure to trust the Lord resulted in fear. Now I'm going to give you a truth. You can take it to the bank every single day. When we fail to trust the Lord, eventually we're going to encounter fear. We see this in the life of Jacob. Now let's remember kind of where we've been here. This is important to get this in the proper context. The last time Jacob has talked to his brother Esau, he's just tricked him out of his father's blessing. A big deal. His brother Esau is extremely angry with him and is threatened to kill Jacob. So the last time Jacob sees his brother Esau, Esau says, I'm going to kill you. Now Jacob flees. It's been 20 years. He's been thinking through it for 20 years. He thinks his brother Esau has been thinking through it for 20 years. Now the Lord instructs him to go home and he knows when he goes home, he's going to pass through the land that Esau now lives Now, something interesting happens in verses 1 and 2. I think it ought to set the tone for Jacob, as I said it just a minute ago, but I don't think it does. Look again with me in verses 1 and 2, and let's think through this together. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. Now, there's two things here we need to understand. Go back to verse 1, if you would, please. This is not just one angel. Okay, he's on his way. The angels of God meet him. And we think, okay, maybe it's two or three angels. Go to verse two. It's more than two or three angels because he says to himself, this is the camp of God. In other words, there's this sense here that there's a legion of angels. You understand that? It's not just one or two or three or four. Jacob sees these angels and he says, listen, this is the camp of God. Now, I believe this is a reminder from the Lord of the protection again he's placed upon Jacob. Now, we've seen this on several different occasions. We've seen over and over that the Lord has said to Jacob, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to direct you. It started back in Genesis 28. And you don't have to flip, but let me just read it to you. Remember, Jacob is fleeing for the first time. He sleeps on the rock. He has the dream. There's the ladder. The angels are ascending and descending. The Lord is at the top speaking to Jacob. And here are the words of the Lord in Genesis 28, 14, and 15. Your descendants, it's the same promise he gave Abraham, the same promise he gave Isaac. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Now, Jacob here is reminded in Genesis 31, 1 and 2 of the promise of the Lord. And I think it's important because it ought to dictate how he's going to respond. Here's what I mean by this. If you saw an army of angels backing you, wouldn't it give you courage? I mean, if the Lord told me to do something... And as I'm kind of walking to get there, I notice that there's this camp of angels that have kind of got my back. I think it would give me courage. And so I think what ought to happen is Jacob ought to understand what the Lord is showing him here. He ought to understand that the Lord has called him and has provided for him and has protected him. I think Jacob ought to see the power of the Lord at work. He ought to find courage, but instead he finds fear. Now, we get an indication of fear in verses 6 and 7. Bring those up if you would for me. 
The first indication of fear is we see that Jacob doesn't go himself to meet Esau. He's afraid. And so what does he do in the beginning of verse 6? He sends messengers to see his brother. And when the messengers come back, they say, listen, Esau's coming to meet you. And it's just one of these you kind of read between the lines. I wonder what Jacob must, what Jacob must have been thinking as they kind of begin the, the story. Your brother's going to come to see you. And he's probably thinking, that, that may be interesting. And he's bringing 400 men with him, right? Now, Jacob, at this point, probably gets very afraid because he doesn't know what these 400 men are there for. Is it possible they're all going to come and throw a party? Maybe. More than likely, he's thinking, this is his army. He's going to come and kill me, kill my family, take everything that I own. And so verse 7 really clues us in. Look at verse 7. In great fear and distress. You understand that? So from from this point forward, the decisions Jacob is going to make are based... Watch this now. Not in his faith of the Lord, but in fear. Now I'll say to you what I said just a few minutes ago. Whenever we fail to trust the Lord, it's always going to result in fear. Now let's, let's think through this and let's apply this to our lives today. It's sad to me how often we miss the power and the glory of the Lord in our lives. Because we are too afraid to simply trust him to work. See, anytime we begin a process of seeking the Lord, it ought to begin with trust. Lord, I'm not sure where you're going to go. I'm not sure how you're going to use me. I'm not sure what you want to do in my life. And frankly, as I think through it, Lord, and and I know I'm going to get to this point out here, I'm scared of that. But at this moment, Lord, I'm going to work on my trust in you. Because I know if I can trust you and have faith in you, then regardless of where I go, regardless of the path that I walk down, if I trust you and have faith in you, then when I come to these difficult moments, I'm not going to be afraid and say, I'm going to find faith. But Jacob doesn't begin with faith. He begins with fear. And what, what if the Lord were saying something like this to us? I want to do great things in your life. What if the Lord was saying to you, I want to do miraculous things in your life. I want to demonstrate my power and my glory in your life. But you've got to trust me and let me work. Stop trying to do it yourself and walk in faith instead of walking in fear. I just wonder, and I'm speaking of my life as well. I just wonder how many times we short circuit what the Lord wants to accomplish because we're afraid to trust him. How many blessings have we missed because we're afraid to trust the Lord? How many decisions do we make based in fear instead of in faith? You know, we have, we have lots of opportunities here at Rosemont to do mission work. And I talk a lot about mission work because it's, first of all, it's biblical. It's the calling of the Lord, but it's a passion I have as well. And I'm just so exciting to me what the Lord's doing in the hearts of our people. But I have conversations with people on a pretty regular basis and they talk about mission work. And, and sometimes the conversation looks something like this. And usually I don't hear about it until finally the person has decided to go. But they'll say something like this. They'll say, you know, I knew three years ago or a year ago or six months ago or you fill in the blank. I knew the Lord was calling me to go, but I just didn't want to go. And as I start kind of talking through this and maybe praying through this with a person, it always ends up something like this. You know, I knew the Lord was calling me to go, but I was afraid. (laughs) And then you kind of fill in the list. I was afraid of flying, sickness, money. I couldn't afford it. I was afraid of danger in the country. On and on the list because there are a million things we could be afraid of. 
And if we begin to make decisions about missions or any other thing we make decisions about, if we begin to make those decisions without fully trusting in the Lord, without faith in the Lord, it's going to end in fear. And if we haven't given our hearts over to the Lord and trust, then we're not going to be able to walk past that fear. At some point, at some point, if we're going to grow in our faith, we've got to come to that moment of fear and say, you know what? I trust the Lord and have faith in him more than this fear. I believe the Lord's called me to do it. And Lord, I'm not sure what it's going to mean. I'm not sure all, all the bad things that can happen. I'm going to set them aside. And instead, Father, I'm going to trust you. One of the things we do in South Asia, and we heard, we heard a testimony last week from Russell about what we call Luke 10 walks. If you've never read Luke 10, you ought to read it. Luke 10 is when the Lord calls these people two by two to go into all these villages to go ahead of himself and basically share the gospel. They look for a person of peace. That's what they do. And the way they look for a person of peace is they go and just start talking about the things of Christ. And if the family accepts them into their home, they walk into the home and they share the gospel. If the family doesn't accept them, the Bible literally says they they kind of shake the dust off their feet and they continue to go on. So in South Asia, they, they, it's, it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost, I don't know what I'm looking for here. It's simplistic in the way they do it. And it's easy for the American church to think, oh, that's too easy. <laughs> that's too, I mean, they're just going to follow what the word says and do nothing else on top of it. That's silly. Well, guess what? It's working. It's reaching people for Christ. Churches are being planted. And so what they do is they encourage us when we go to be part of these Luke 10 walks. And so we get to walk into these areas and areas we've never been in. In Muslim community, Curtis and Russell went into a Muslim community last week. I went into a village that was an unreached, unengaged people group, a group of people that didn't even know the name Jesus. None of them were believers. And if you don't think that that's scary to do, then you're missing the truth. It is scary. Of course it's scary. Of course there's fear involved in stuff like that. Of course there's a thousand things that could go wrong. All the things we consider that could happen, all the bad stuff, and if you're not careful, you let your mind begin to wonder. Of course there's fear, but at some point we've got to say, whether it's a Luke 10 walk, or whether it's mission work, or whether it's evangelism, or whether it's tithing, or you fill in the blank. At some point we've got to say, Lord, I'm going to build my walk on faith and not on fear. Because lack of faith in the Lord, especially when we are afraid, will cause us to miss the blessings of the Lord. And so Jacob here operates on fear. He doesn't begin with a faith in the Lord. He doesn't begin with a trust in the Lord. Although the Lord has promised him all these things, he begins with fear. And let's see where that leads him. Look at verse 9. So then Jacob prayed. It's interesting, right? He begins with fear. He kind of begins to formulate his own plan. He's going to divide him into two different camps. We'll get there in just a minute and talk some more about that. But now he's going to pray, verse 9. So Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. There's fear again. And also the mothers with their children, but you have said... I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Let's stop there. Now, this prayer is good. We're going to delve into this prayer, but here's truth number two. It misses a a very crucial point. Number two, Jacob's prayer fails to seek the Lord's will. 
Jacob's prayer, and we'll see this here in just a minute, fails to seek the Lord's will. And let's remember the order that Jacob goes through here, okay? Fear, number one, that's what drives all of his decisions. Because of fear, he has a quick response now without seeking the Lord. He's going to kind of make his plan and divide everybody into two camps. And then he's going to pray. Now, it's interesting to me, we we have this tendency sometimes to first make a plan and then ask the Lord to bless our plan, don't we? You ever done something like this? You're kind of walking through life and there's a situation you've got to deal with. And so you come up with the best plan to fix it. You come up with what you need to do how you need to respond, the things you need to begin to do. You come up with your plan, and then once you've come up with your plan, you say to the Lord, listen, Lord, I've got all this figured out. I've thought through all this. I've done all these things. I need you now, Lord, to bless my plan. I need you, Lord, to make sure that my plan is going to work. I need you, Lord, to take what I've done and kind of Think through it a little bit, Lord, and bless it and make all the people involved do what they're supposed to do, right? That's what we say in our lives oftentimes. That's what Jacob says. Jacob says, Lord, I'm going to come up with this plan. I'm going to divide into two different groups, and we're going to see in a minute he's going to send out all these gifts. Lord, I'm going to come up with all these plans, and then I want you to bless my plan. Here's the problem. It's a problem we still face today. Jacob was more fearful of Esau, his brother, than he was of what the Lord thought. Let's fast forward to our generation. Sometimes we're more afraid of the approval of man than we are the approval of the Lord, aren't we? Now you think about this just for a second. You you kind of process this in your personal walk. If you're more afraid of what your co-worker is going to think than what the Lord's going to think, you're walking down a bad path. If you're more interested in pleasing the world than pleasing the Lord, you've missed the truth of Scripture. If you're more fearful of man than you are of the Lord, you're going to miss the incredible blessings the Lord wants to give you. And so let's see what Jacob does here. Let's look at his prayer because there's some good things in his prayer. I don't want to miss the good, but I want to consider what he should have done differently. There are four things in this prayer that are important that we ought to understand. And frankly, we can use as a model for our own prayer life. Number one, he acknowledges the God of Abraham and Isaac and he recognizes his power and the glory that's been done in his family. The first thing he says, he prays, Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. Now I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6, and you don't have to flip there, but if you remember the model prayer that the Lord gave us when he's teaching his disciples to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name, right? That basically means holy. What Jesus says is, listen, when we first begin to pray, the first thing we ought to do in our prayer is we ought to acknowledge the holiness and the power and the glory of the Lord. You say, well, why is it important for us to acknowledge right off the bat the power of the Lord? Because it puts us in a right understanding with the Lord. It reminds us that he's God and we're not. Lord, you're holy. Lord, you're powerful. Lord, you're in control. And I'm not. The second thing Jacob does is he confesses his sin. Verse 10. He says, I am unworthy of all you've done for me. I'm not good enough, Lord. I've made mistakes. I've I've sinned. I've separated myself from you. I'm unworthy of the kindness and the faithfulness that you've shown me. Anytime we pray, we ought to begin by acknowledging the power of the Lord, by acknowledging his glory, by acknowledging his holiness, 
Part of our prayer ought to always be confession of sin. The third thing he does, he acknowledges the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord. Look again at verse 10. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and the faithfulness you've shown your servant. You know, I've said this before, but I think it's a good exercise every now and then to kind of take a pause in your life and either write down or think through all the ways the Lord has blessed you. All the things the Lord has done for you that you had nothing to do with yourself. Think about all the things he's done for you, all the things he's given you, all the ways in which he's blessed you, how he's given you family and a good job and health, and you can fill in all the blanks there. But anytime we pray, we ought to thank the Lord for that. Lord, you are holy, you are all-powerful. Forgive me for I've failed you, for I've sinned. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. And then the fourth thing he does, and it's in the right order, is he makes his petition to God, right? He asks his request. Look at verse 11. After he's acknowledged the Lord, after he's confessed his sin, after he's called him holy and powerful, number three, or number four in verse 11, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother. That's his request. Now I'm reminded of Philippians chapter four. If you want a good passage of scripture to memorize about prayer, Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry, but in every situation by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the sense that we ought to present our requests to God. We ought to petition the Lord. We ought to ask Him to work in our lives. This is a good prayer. It's a good model prayer. We should base our prayers on models just like this we find all through Scripture. But there's one critical part that Jacob leaves out. The one thing that Jacob never asks for is the Lord's will to be done. You think about the model prayer, right? One of the things that Christ tells us to do is ask God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? A big portion of our prayer life ought to be where we say to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what's your plan for my life? Not, Lord, I've got the plan, you bless it. Instead, Lord, you give me the plan and I'll follow it. Lord, what's your will for this situation to work? What do you want me to do? I say that in my prayer life all the time. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? If you'll just be clear with me and show me what you want me to do, then I'll do it. But it's not about my plan. It's not about my ideas. It's about seeking the Lord, putting my faith and trust in him alone And just believing he's going to work. One writer explained it like this. He said, while Jacob is growing in faith, as his prayer reveals, he's still up to his old tricks, trying to scheme his way out of a tight spot. It's not wrong to pray and then plan. There's a proper sense in which prayer without action is not enough. God expects us to plan and take action. But the problem comes when we don't seek the Lord concerning the plans. And then we rely more on our plans than on the Lord's. How many of us go through the motions of prayer only to ignore the Lord's plan and do it our way instead? I wonder how many times we've prayed to the Lord, seeking the Lord, asking Him to work. And then when it's all said and done, we still do it our way instead. 
So you've got this man now who is beginning with a fear. He's not trusting. There's not the faith there should be in the Lord. He's devising his own plan. He's praying through it, but he's not seeking the Lord's will. So a man that lacks faith, lacks discernment, he's not seeking the will of the Lord. Let's see where that leads him. Look now in verse 13. (coughs) So he spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, right? He's still thinking, I've got to appease him. I don't trust the Lord. I'm afraid of what he's going to do. I've got to now give him this gift to make him happy. Verse 14, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself. And he said to his servants, go ahead of me. Keep some space between the herds. Again, he's being strategic here, right? He's going to send them out in waves. He instructed the one in the lead. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say to him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. He's coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will, this is is very telling in his heart. I will pacify him and these gifts, with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. And then maybe the most telling of the section right here, verse 21 So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Here's truth number three. Jacob gives everything except himself. Jacob gives everything except himself. Now this is an impressive list he's going to give to his brother. All these animals, and if you tallied all these things up, it's 550 animals plus some young. We don't even know how many young animals there were. This is an impressive gift. It's a hefty gift he's going to give to his brother. You say, why is he going to offer him so much stuff? Verse 20 tells us, I will pacify him with these gifts. I'm sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Now, there's an interesting parallel here, I believe, between Jacob and Esau and the way that we sometimes approach the Lord. Now, here's what we do with the Lord. We say, I'm going to do a lot of good things, or I'm going to give a lot of good gifts, or I'm going to say the right things, and if I do all these things correctly, maybe the Lord will receive me. So if I go to church enough times... If I give enough money, if I say the right things in Sunday school, if I pray out loud enough times, if I go to enough Bible studies, and you kind of fill in the blank, right? It's kind of like this Christian worksheet we work through. If I do enough good things, maybe the Lord will receive me. It's a works-based salvation, and it's absolutely incorrect. 
In fact, the scripture sees and teaches, and we're going to see this in, in a couple of weeks when these two men actually meet together. The scripture teaches there's nothing we can do to actually pacify the Lord. We, we can't give him enough good gifts. If you think you can, you can work your way to heaven or there are enough things you can do to make him happy, you're mistaken. The Bible says it's not about the gifts you give the Lord, it's about what he gave you. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Jacob has this mindset. He's got this hope. If I do enough good things, if I pacify him and give him enough stuff, maybe he'll receive me. One writer said it like this. Everything was stretched out in bands across the desert toward Esau. Then last of all, at the very back of the procession, there was Jacob. All alone and trembling. He had given up his possessions, even his family, but he was the same old Jacob. He had not given up himself. You know, anytime we do mission work, and especially when we go in areas where Christianity is not accepted, I'm amazed at the believers there. I'm amazed at what these men and what these women are willing to give up for the sake of the gospel. Oftentimes, it's everything. They're not just going to be made fun of at work. They're going to lose their job. (laughs) They're not just going to get in an argument at the dinner table. They're going to get kicked out of their home. They're not just going to have a discussion with their wife about their faith. They're going to be divorced. And as I think about all they're willing to give, I think about all sometimes we're not willing to give. I'm reminded of the old hymn, I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But here's the question, do we really? Are we willing to not only give all of our stuff, but in the end, our hearts to the Lord? Are you sending out things ahead of yourself and your life, hoping to appease the Lord? If I just give him enough stuff, I don't have to give him my heart. If I just say the right things, I don't really have to live for him. If I just act the right way, I don't really have to be willing to give up everything, including my very life. But Christ says, listen, I've got a plan for you. I want to use you to do great things. I want to display my glory through your life. All you've got to do is quit trying to do it yourself and trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the life that Jacob uh, led, Lord, that we can learn from and understand. And I, I pray the idea of Fear versus faith, Lord. The idea of kind of our plan versus your plan. The idea of giving stuff instead of giving of ourselves. I pray those ideas would just kind of bounce around in our hearts and our minds a little bit and resonate within our souls, Father. I pray you would convict us in areas that we need to grow closer to you. Convict us in areas that we need to give up for you, Father. Help us to understand we need to spend time in prayer seeking your will, Father. We need to deepen our trust and our faith in you. And then as we do these things, Father, I just pray your name would be glorified. You just do great things through us. Challenge us, Lord. Challenge us with the truth of your word. 
so we can be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you time at the altars. We always do for you to respond. Maybe you need to pray about your walk, about faith versus fear, about God's plan versus your plan, about how he wants to use you. Maybe you need to repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But this is your time. You respond. This is your time to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.